Welcome to the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church podcast, your place for positive, uplifting messages of hope. You can learn more at fredericksdachurch.org. Stewardship is about making the most of what we have. You may be surprised to find out what God has entrusted to us. Robert Quintana wraps up the last part of his series, Make It Count, and this week helps you discover how God calls us to be good stewards of our time. Is your house standing this morning? Um, On my way home yesterday from church, I heard on the radio that there was a win advisory. And middle of the night, I was in bed and I hear this huge sound. I mean, it even shook the townhouse. It woke me up. What is that? And I hear the screen on the window just kind of howling. And so I go downstairs on the balcony um, our patio set had been turned over and crashed up against the, uh, the townhouse. Thinking to myself, my goodness, it is windy. They said it was going to be anywhere between 40 and 60 mile an hour gust winds. Now, for as much fun as I make of meteorologists, I, I think, or as much fun as we make of meteorologists when they get it wrong, I think it's pretty neat, though, that they can get it right as many times as they do. You know, back in October, um, when we had that snowfall, they were on the radio, they were on the news saying, we're going to be getting this snowfall. And I think it's pretty interesting, right, that we can predict um, what the weather is going to be like. Whenever there is a hurricane that might make landfall, you might remember the charts and the graphs on TV, you know, and, and it has this path of where they think the hurricane is going to go. And then, you know, as, as it gets farther away from where it actually is, it gets a little wider. You know, that these are where we think, you know, that the hurricane could go. And it's pretty amazing that most of the time they're accurate as to where the hurricane's going to go. I just think it's pretty neat that we have the technology to do that. Now, we always didn't have that technology, and so we relied on more primitive ways of telling the weather. Some, I think, work. Uh, Some, I think, are more, you know... um, not really scientific and they really don't work, but you might remember some of them. There's like a little caterpillar that depending on how wide, you know, the band is on its back will determine how bad the weather is going to be. Has anyone heard of that caterpillar or maybe uh, the way the moss grows on the side of the tree might determine how bad the winter is going to be or groundhog, you know, if you see its shadow or if you don't see its shadow. There's all these different ways for some of us who are a little older, you know, oh, that knee's bothering me. That means there's a, a good storm coming or my back's a little out of whack. That must mean there's a storm coming. You know, and we figure out, and, and, and sailors, they have all of these different ways of determining whether or not it's going to be good weather, bad weather, big waves, little waves. You know, you might hear circles around the moon. And, and for every star that's within that circle determines how many days the storm's going to last. Have you heard of that one? And there's all of these different ways of determining what the weather's going to be like. And apparently it was no different during Jesus' time. That's right. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 12, verse 54. Luke chapter 12, verse 54. I'm reading from the New King James Version. 
Luke chapter 12, verse 54. Jesus is speaking to the multitudes here. And he says in verse 54, Then he also said to the multitudes, Whenever you could see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it is. Verse 55, And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be hot weather, and there is. And so even back in Jesus's time, they had ways of predicting the weather, predicting storms, predicting what was going to take place in the coming days regarding the weather. And I think that's pretty neat. But today's message isn't about predicting the weather. Today's message is about the verse that follows. You see, because Jesus has some pretty stern words to those that were listening. And in verse 56, he says, hypocrites. Now, we all know what it means to be a hypocrite, right? A hypocrite is someone who says something and does something differently. Does anyone here know any hypocrites? You don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to look to the person next to you either. Don't need to point them out. You know, a study that came out uh, just recently says that, that the world views hypocrites as hypocrites. That the world looks at the Christians um, and the percentages are pretty high. Somewhere 80, 87% of the world views Christians as, as hypocrites. We say one thing, but we do something different. But here Jesus says to them, you hypocrites. He says, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? How is it that you cannot discern the times in which we live? And if this verse was true 2,000 years ago, it is even more true today. How is it that we cannot discern the time that we are living in? You know, I was having lunch with a good friend of mine uh, just a few months ago. And uh, he said to me, he said, Pastor Q, he says, does your church believe in like end, end time events that, you know, we're, we're going to be living in, in the end times and that we, that destruction is going to come and, and that there's something really bad that's going to happen at the end of time. And I said, well, you know, our church believes it just because the Bible says that perilous times are going to come. So yeah, we believe that that's going to happen. And he said to me, I just feel like it's just right around the corner. I mean, it is just going to happen. And there seems to be this sediment around our community and in our world that something big is about to happen. Has anyone seen that new series on TV, Doomsday Preppers? Has anyone heard of it? I saw it announced and I said, man, I need to check that out. So I I DVR'd it and I got to see my first episode this last week. And on this show, it it is about men and women families who feel that the world is coming to an end and we, it is imminent. And so they are preparing, they call them preppers, they are preparing for that doomsday apocalyptic event that will destroy the world and that we will live 
from now on differently than we ever have before. Some feel that like half of the world's population will be destroyed, whether by natural disasters or an epidemic or a disease. And it is interesting to see how these individuals are preparing for the end time. And I don't know, they don't say what religion or if they're Christians, they don't say what their faith belief is. They're just men and women who feel that because of what they see around them, because of the financial crisis that's going on around the world or because of all the fault lines that run through our country, that something huge is going to happen. There is this one guy that follows solar flares and he believes that there's going to be a solar flare soon that will wipe our electrical grid and we will not have electricity. We will not be able to drive our cars. Trucks will not be able to deliver foods into grocery stores and we won't have any electricity to do anything. And so, of course, he says, when that happens, the world will go chaos. There will be violence on the streets and every man for himself. And so as a result, he is stocking up, stocking up food, stocking up ammunition, you know, because he has to protect his uh, food stockpile. We might say, man, they're crazy. But could they be on to something? And I'm not saying that we need to go out and start stockpiling food and ammunition, but are they sensing something that we all deep down inside are sensing as well that we are nearing the end time. This one family had enough food to survive their family of five for 15 years. And some of these people are, are making bunkers, underground bunkers with ex- escape plans, escape routes. This one couple lives on a semi-truck. And all of their stuff, all their stockpile is on the semi-truck and they're mobile. They don't want to be in one place. They, they want to be mobile. You know, and if we were to be honest with ourselves and we were to look around and, and see what's going on in the world today, if we were honest with ourselves, we too would come to the conclusion that we are living in the end of time. And the Bible does tell us that there will come a time so bad that if those days were not shortened, no man would be saved. And so we know that that time is coming. But what I think it's interesting about what Jesus is saying here is not so much about worrying about that time, but what he's talking about leading up to this is how can we make and take advantage of the time that we have? Because in other words, he's saying you don't understand the time that we're living in. And as a result, you're just wasting away your time, you're wasting away your gifts, you're wasting away your energies because you do not realize you are not discerning the time in which we are living. Now, see, we've started this series a few uh, weeks ago, and, and this series is about stewardship, right? And, and as I've already mentioned, stewardship isn't about acquiring more or wanting to have more. Stewardship is about taking what we have and making the most of it, making it count, whatever that might be. Last time we were together, we talked about the gift of communication, 
the gift of words, that God has given us the gift of being able to communicate with one another. And so the last time we met, it was the stewardship of words, the stewardship of how we communicate with one another. You know, the average individual speaks about 16,000 words a day. And that might sound like a lot, and, and I think it is, but the study went on to say that the most chattiest among us speak up to 46,000 words a day. Yeah, that's a lot. But, but the point of, of, last, uh, of our time together last time is that we need to take those words that we have and make the most of them. Make our words count. And today we're talking about taking the time that we've been given and making the most of it. Make that time count. Because just like most everyone here, and everyone here I would say, has been given the gift of words and the gift of communication. Every single one of us here has been given the gift of time. You know, we talk about stewardship of gifts yeah, some of you haven't been given the gift of music, and, and so you might sit back and say, well, I haven't been given the, mu- the, the gift of music, so there's nothing for me to do with that gift. I understand that. But every single one of us has been given the gift of time. Every one of us has been given 24 hours in a day. Every one of us. No one here has been given more time than 24 hours a day. No one here has been given less time, less than 24 hours a day. Every single one of us has received the same exact gift. Everyone has been given 24 hours a day. The question now is, what are you going to do with that gift that you've been given? And make no mistake about it, it is a gift. It is a gift that God has given us. If you go back to the book of Genesis, it's interesting to me here in in, in Genesis chapter 2, and I'm just going to look at the last 24-hour period, the last 24-hour gift that he gave us in chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, it says, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. And so there God at creation creates an additional 24-hour period. He creates time, and he says this time is to spend together. This time, I am, I am sanctifying this time. I am blessing this time for us to spend together. And so he has given us 24 hours in a day. He's given us seven days a week. What are we going to do with it? Have you ever heard someone say, man, it just seems like they just have so much more time than I do? It's not true. They don't have more time than you. You have 24 hours. They have 24 hours. They might seem like they have more time than you do, maybe because they're managing it or they're being better stewards of that time. And so today we're going to learn what we need to do to be better stewards of our time, taking our time and making it count. I want to share with you some statistics that I came across. Uh, These are a little shocking. I came across these and I thought to myself, wow. Regarding television, 
You're like, oh no, there goes the pastor again. He's going to take away my television. I wish I could, (laughs) but I can't. But I'm sharing you these statistics so that maybe you can start realizing that I might have a little more time that I'm leading people to believe I have. All right, but just check these out. The average person spends, or I should say a person spends an average of four and a half hours a day watching television. Four, more than four hours a day watching television. All right. I saw a lot of squirming going on out there. That comes out to about 28 hours a week. What that translates to is that in one year, that's two months out of the year watching television. In other words, if you nonstop spent January and February watching television 24 hours a day for two straight months, that's how much time a person spends watching television a year. Now, I'm just saying, is there something that we can do that will make that time count? In other words, is it possible for us to reinvest that time in something else? Um, if If a person lives 65 years that comes out to nine years of their life watching television. Now, here are some pretty startling statistics. 64% of homes, the TV is on during the meal. During a meal, maybe supper time or lunchtime, 64% of homes have the television on during meals. And children and young adults... Between the ages of 8 and 18, 71% of those have a television in their room, in their bedroom. So 71% of children between the ages of 8 and 18 have a television in their room. Now, let's talk about internet and media, social networking. Are you ready for these numbers? No? Yes? Do you want to hear them? (laughs) You don't, do you? Because you know when I bring it out, it's going to cause you to think about what I need to change in my life. The Holy Spirit's convicting me here that it's important to be a good steward of my time. And while I go running around saying I don't have enough time, when it really comes down to it, we really have time. We just need to reinvest our energies better. All right. All right. Here we go. The average person spends 32 hours per month on the internet, social media, um, whatnot. Now, this is a startling statistic. Children and young adults between the ages of eight and 18, okay, between the ages of eight and 18, Okay, they spend an average 
of seven hours and 38 minutes a day, either on the internet, listening to music, watching, uh, playing video games, some kind of media outlet is spent an average of seven, over seven and a half hours a day. That comes out to 53 hours per week. So for our children, they're spending more than a full-time job a week in media, the internet, television, um, the radio, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, MySpace. Does anybody still have a MySpace account? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe that's, uh, did I just date myself? All right. Anyways. Okay. So 53 hours a week. And I come across kids all the time. Oh, I'm so busy. Have you ever heard this one? I don't have time for homework. Have you ever heard that one? I don't have time for homework. No, no, I think you have time for homework if you learn to reallocate your time, your energies. 53 hours per week. Now, in this study, this is compared to a study that was done in 2004. Since 2004, this study was done in 2009. Since 2004, music, listening to music has gone up 47 minutes a day for a total of two and a half hours a day. Okay? TV watching, observing has gone up 38 minutes a day for a total of four and a half hours a day. Okay? Computer, being on the computer, on the internet, surfing on the internet, on the computer, has gone up 27 minutes a day for a total of an hour and a half a day. And then video games, playing, just playing video games, that's gone up 24 minutes a day for a total of an hour and 15 minutes a day. Okay? I, I, I wish they would have a statistic on how, how many minutes have increased in our prayer life or how many minutes have increased in our Bible study or how many minutes have increased in our service to one another, to the community, helping the needy. I, I wonder if the minutes have, have gone up. And chances are no, because you only have 24 hours a day. And if you take time from one place, it goes somewhere else, right? And we're going to get to that here in just a second. So the point here is what do we need to do? What can we do to be good stewards of our time? To take the time that we've been given and make that time what? Count. And so, fortunately, we're not left in the dark here. Jesus gives us some principles. He gives us some guidance leading up to this text that we read about not discerning the times that we live in. He gives us some principles and he gives us some very valuable stuff. The problem with the stuff that he gives us, honestly, is that it goes so contrary to the way that we're living our lives. I mean, it just goes completely contrary to what the world teaches we should be doing with our time. It goes contrary to what we think is important in life. 
But nonetheless, when you look at what Jesus says, this is what Jesus says is of utmost importance. This is what you should be spending your time doing. And so Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 4, he says this, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more time, no more that they can do. But I show you whom you should fear. And then he says, fear him. Now, this is an interesting word because most of the time that the Bible says to fear God, it uses a word that means be in awe of God. In other words, it says, you know, you, you are experiencing God in such a way that you are humbled and you, you are in, in a spirit of respect and reverence because you are in awe of him. Usually when the Bible says to fear him or to fear God, that's the word that it uses. But it doesn't use that word here. He says, no, 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 no. Most of you are living your lives fearing other people. Fearing what's going to happen to your life. Fearing loneliness, fearing not having enough money. You know, most of you live your life fearing others. He says, no, if you're going to fear anyone, you need to fear God. And the word he uses here is phobos, which means you really need to be terrified of God if, if you're going to be afraid of anybody. Don't be afraid of people that only kill the body. No, 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 no. If you're going to be afraid of anyone, you need to be afraid of God because God not only can kill the body, but he can destroy the soul as well. Okay? And, and we're going to read that here. It says in verse 5, but I show you who you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. So in other words, he's saying you need to have things in perspective here, okay? Don't live your life fearing outside sources. And don't let those outside sources determine how you're going to live your life. No, 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 no. You need to live your life fearing the one that can not only kill the body, but can destroy the soul. But Jesus turns a page here. Because instead of, instead of leaving us there where we're like, oh no, you know, I'm afraid of God because not only can he destroy my body, but he can, can, can you know, he can, can destroy my soul. He doesn't just leave you there. He says, but wait, 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 wait. Real, but if you're going to fear anybody, fear God. But I'm telling you, there really is no reason to fear God. And I'm going to tell you why. In verse six, he says, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And two copper coins is like pennies. I mean, it, it is nothing. And he says, and not one of them is forgotten before God. And then in verse seven, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And I realize that some of you have less hair to be numbered. But the point is, is that he knows how many hairs are on your head. That's how intimately he knows you. That is how much he loves you and cares for you. That he knows the number of hairs on your head. And then he says, do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. And so Jesus is making the point here. 
He's making the point that oftentimes we live our lives putting our time into places that really have no eternal value at all when we really should be investing our time in the one who loves us with an everlasting love. In other words, he needs to be the one at the top of your priority list. And so if you were to put, make a list of all the things that are important to you, make a list of all the things that you value in life. You know, at the top of the list, it might be family. It might be church. At the top of the list, it might be work. You might love your work and value your work. And so you make a list of all the things that you value in life. You might find out that towards the bottom of the list might be, you know, housewives or, you know, uh, ESPN. You're at the bottom of the list. It might be sports. At the bottom of the list, you might have Facebook and Internet and television You know, so if you were to make a list of everything that's important in your life, Jesus is saying that the thing that should be at the very top of the list is God. That's what needs to be at the very top of your list. That needs to take top spot when you are prioritizing your life. And what that means is that everything else comes second. Your work, your family, your friends, um, entertainment, media, and and some of those things are great and important. And as you're going to see, we need to invest time in all of those things. But Jesus also said, and you might remember this in Matthew, he says what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? All of these things shall be added unto you. And so at the top of the list, should be you wanting to experience and discover who God is. And I know that it's important for some of you to find a mate, and that's high on the list. But Jesus is saying, even higher than that, instead of trying to discover who your mate's going to be, you need to discover who God is. Because when you prioritize things the way that, that appropriately, everything else will fall into place. And so high on your lifts might be, listen, I need to, to have financial security for me and my family. That might be high on the list, but Jesus is saying even on top of that needs to be God seeking him and his righteousness, and he makes the promise. He's the one making the promise that all of these other things that are important to you, they shall come to pass. I will fulfill them in your life at the perfect time. And so he makes this argument. He teaches us at the top of the list, it needs to be God. And so you might need to go back. You might need to go back and and you might need to switch a few things on your list of things that are important to you, things that you value. And and, and try this as well. This is also a, a neat little exercise to do. Once you prioritize everything in your life that you think is valuable, your health, uh, your hobbies, uh, media, entertainment, family, your kids, your spouse, your work. When, when you make a list, God, uh, the church, I mean, you make a list of all of those things that are important to you. Okay, put that list aside. And then for one week, 
Make a log of what you're spending your time doing that week. Just log everything that you do from eating to sleeping to working to exercising to, you know, movies to listening to music. Just make a list, make a log of how you spent your time that week. And then once you do that, take both lists and compare them. And you might be surprised at what you find. Because you might discover that you're spending way too much time on something that's way too low on my list of things that I value. And you might discover that I am not spending enough time on the things that I value most in life. So that's just a little exercise for you guys to do. But make no mistake about it that Jesus here is saying that the one thing that needs to be of utmost importance in your life is God. And so then he goes on, and, and from, from this verse here all the way until verse 56, he talks about all of these things that you should value. Now, ironically, we don't have the time to go through all of these, or do we? Are you guys willing to be here till 2 in the, in the afternoon? Put you on the spot. What do you value? Do you value the Word of God, or do you value su- lunch? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time, all right? But we we don't have time to go through everything here that God values, that Jesus says is valuable, okay? So this is up to you now. Instead of watching that two-hour movie, I'm going to read these things that Jesus says is valuable that I should be spending my time on, okay? See how that works? Okay, but we are going to mention just a couple. From verses 8 through 12, He says, we're going to read verse 8. It says, Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So this is something that Jesus says is important. It is something that you should value. You should value, and because you value this, you should invest your time in this, and that is confessing God, confessing who he is, confessing what he has done in your life. And when I say confessing, not just in word, but in Deed, because our lives can be one huge confession of what God has done for our lives. So Jesus says something that's valuable, something that you should be paying close attention to. Once you put God at the top of the list, something that you should be spending time in and investing your time in doing is confessing who God is, not just in word, but in deed. Now, this is my opinion. I think I can make a pretty good biblical argument on this, however, but this is my opinion. And my opinion is that our confession, whether through word or deed, are you ready for this? Needs to start in the home. Our confession of who God is and what God has done for us starts in the home and then from our home to our neighborhood, to our churches, to our community at large, and the circle gets bigger and bigger, the ripple effects gets bigger and bigger and bigger, but it starts in the home. As we confess before one another, 
as I confess to my brother or my sister, as I confess to my husband or my wife, whether through word or deed, as I confess to my children, as I confess to my parents, I confess to them who God is and what God has done in my life through word and in deed. I'm going to tell you something that through my years of youth ministries, the one thing that kept on coming up over and over again, which young people struggled with the most, was the hypocrisy of their parents. It was the hypocrisy of their parents. They, they see their parents acting one way outside of the home. Uh, maybe acting a certain way at home, but then when they get, you know, acting a certain way at church, but then once they get to the home, they act completely different. And I'm telling you, it messes up with their psyche growing up because here they see dad being respectful and being loving to other people, but then they come home and they treat me like I'm not valuable. I mean, it just plays games and and it really does affect the psyche of children. And this is why they grow up and that manifests itself in so many ways. It manifests itself through addiction, manifests itself through loneliness and depression. It might manifest itself by by a child retreating and and clamming up and, and drawing into a shell and building walls around them. It really has a huge effect on children. And so as parents, it is important for us to confess by word and deed who God is starting in our home. Many of you know who Ed Mottschietler is. He was the senior pastor here um, several years ago. And just last week, we were at a pastor's retreat, and he was our guest speaker. And uh, he had uh, very inspirational messages And on this one message, he was talking about this very thing, how it's important for us to be a witness in our own homes. And he he shared this this, um, experience that he had when his children were young and he was watching television. And he noticed he heard some commotion, you know, behind him. And as he looked back, he noticed that at the doorway, his children were kind of wrestling. And as he paid attention to what they were doing, he realized that his daughter was keeping the other children from coming into the family room. And she was wrestling with them and blocking their way into the family room. And she was using, you know, her legs and her arms to kind of keep them out. And there were, you know, kids, they're just trying to get in and she's kind of holding them back. And, and he observed that for just a few moments thinking, you know, what are they doing? Like, why is she like preventing them from coming into the family room? Until she said out loud, you can't go in there. Only daddy can watch bad TV. (laughs) He realized that he was saying one thing, practicing another. And Ed, he's a man of God. I mean, he is a man of faith. And he shared how he realized, I can't be a hypocrite. I I can't be that kind of example to them. I I need to confess who God is, not only outside to my parishioners, but in here in my own home as well. And so he turned off the television and he reallocated his time from spending it in front of the tube to spending it with his children. It is important that we confess who God 
is by word and deed. And I'm telling you that it starts in the home. Husbands, wives, kids, children here today. It is important that we minister to one another. And in that safe environment, as we confess who God is, we're then able to take it out beyond our walls. But Jesus says here, it is important that we confess. It is valuable. And so we need to spend time being intentional about confessing who God is and what he has done in our lives. And so he goes on, like I said, he mentions a lot of things here that are valuable. In in verses 13 through 21, there he shares a parable where yet again he says, this is another thing that's valuable. This is something else that you should be spending time doing. And so we'll pick up the story in verse 16. He says, then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So he, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And so here Jesus is saying to us that it is important, it is valuable that we spend time not figuring out how we can acquire more, not trying to figure out how we can protect our possessions, but how we should provide our possessions. See, we spend most of our time trying to figure out how we can protect the stuff that we have. And Jesus says, what's more important, what's more valuable is trying to figure out how you can give it away, how you can be generous with it. Spend time doing that instead of hoarding. And so see, that goes completely different to the way we think. That goes completely different to what the world teaches. You know, the world says, no, build up your walls. Bring in as much as you can. You know, invest as much as you can. Just bring it all in. And Jesus says, listen, listen, that might be okay and all, but don't, don't forget that I'm the one that gives power to acquire wealth, the Bible says. And don't you forget that everything that you have, I've given to you. And, and what you need to be doing is being a good steward of those things. And so spend your time not trying to figure out how you can protect it. Spend your time figuring out how you can provide for others. That's what's valuable. You see, and so when you're making that list of priorities, right, at the top of the list, you might need to put, God, how can I be more generous or being more generous? And then when you're allocating the 24 hours that you have, you're going to put time to figuring out how you can be more generous with the possessions that God has given you. And so you might have a garage full of stuff that you've never seen. 
or I shouldn't say never, maybe you, that stuff that you haven't seen for years, put it that way. You know, you know it's there. You maybe think it's there. And maybe my honey threw it away a few years ago, but I think it's in that red, you know, Tupperware box, you know, that kind of stuff. And maybe you need to reallocate your time and say, okay, how can I provide to others from my possessions? And so you might spend quality time, time that Jesus says, this is, this is time worth spending. This is, this is time worth spending. You go in your garage and you figure out from all the possessions that you have, how you're going to provide to those that need it more than you. And so you might have, uh, you know, a couple boxes of t-shirts that, that you haven't used that you're just keeping as, as, you know, uh, memorabilia, you know, God says, use that. Don't just bury it. Use your time to figure out how you can make it go and do good in the community or do good in the family. And so you might spend a Sunday just going through the garage, figuring out what you can give away, how families in need that might be able to use this toaster. You know, you, you have three toasters, you know, because you, you didn't like the first one you bought. So you put one in storage and then, and then you wanted a toaster that had four. And so you put the, that one that had two. And so you have two toasters in storage, but you're keeping them in case the toaster that has four breaks down. You have an additional one. Or maybe you're just holding on to it so that when you're, 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 you know, when, when your son moves out, you know, to the dormitory, you can give him a toaster and it's been sitting there for the last three, four years. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just learn. Spend time figuring out how I can take what I have and invest it somewhere else instead of hoarding it for myself. And so here he goes on, I'm telling you, um, in, in, in verses 22 through 34, he talks about uh, another thing that's valuable. And verses 35 through, um, through 48, he talks yet about something else that's valuable. In 48 through 53, he talks about something else that's valuable. And as you read through this chapter, you figure out, you learn what's important to Jesus, And then that's when we get to verse 56, where he says, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, you say these things are important, but but you're, you're not discerning the times in which you're living and you're just, you're wasting away your time instead of investing the time that I've been give that I've given you to the things that are really important in life. And so the challenge for us today is to take the 24 hours that we've been given and take those 24 hours and make it count. And the way that we do that, I'm telling you, the way that we do that is first put Jesus at the top of your list. Just put him first and just say, however that might translate into your life or how you might interpret that into your day-to-day, but just put him first. And then figure out, once you do that, you're going to start figuring out the things that are important to him. And when you figure out the things that are important to him, then start taking the time that he's given you and start investing it in the things that he says are important. Not the things that I think are important, but the things that he says are important. And when you do that, you will find yourself an individual who makes the time that you have count for something good and eternal. 
No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church would love to help you along the way. We're a family-oriented, grace-filled church serving the Frederick, Maryland area. You can learn more about us at fredericksdachurch.org. For more podcasts, click on Sermon Audio.